0: You don't have a seat. Good morning, church. Grateful that you're here today, this morning. If you would be finding a Bible or some way to read a Bible, if you want to do that on your phone, we're going to look at several different places in Scripture this morning. It'll be important that you have some way to access those Scriptures, and so I want to encourage you to find a Bible. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 12 in just a moment. Um get this cord out from behind my shoulder there if you're a guest we want to again just extend a special welcome to you and thank you for being here this morning We are continuing a series of sermons today uh, that we are calling the true and better Jesus is the true and better and this study will will take us really through Christmas the Sunday right before Christmas December 23rd uh, as we think about and really this entire next few weeks is designed to help us think about and focus on this season uh, of Christmas uh, or of advent is the other word we use and i realized this morning that uh, if if you've not been here a part of this church family for the last several years or part of a church that recognizes the word advent it might be kind of a funny word or a different word you're not familiar with it uh, maybe it's a new word and so i want to first of all i think i forgot to mention this last sunday but Inside your bulletin this morning is a green piece of paper that we've tried to put in there the the first couple of weeks of Advent every year, uh, that I think gives great detail on uh, just kind of some introductory thoughts about Advent, about what it is, ways that you can participate in it and celebrate this season. Uh, But I'll say as well, so that you you can you're welcome to read it now if you don't want to listen to the sermon. But uh, if you want to save it for later, you can do that too. I will just say quickly that the most important piece of information really on that paper is what the word means. Advent simply means arrival or coming, and Advent, the season of Advent, recognizes two arrivals. The first arrival that we remember through Christ's arrival on earth uh, as a baby in Bethlehem, and for those of us who live on that, this side of that first arrival, uh, we long for and anticipate Jesus' second Advent, his second arrival when he comes back. And this season is intended to help us think about both of those, really, and kind of hold those together, knowing that really with with Christ's first arrival, though it was a significant event, it is not the end of the story, and that we need his second coming in order to complete God's work and God's mission on the earth. And so I would encourage you to uh, find ways to celebrate this season. There's some resources on our website, that you might want to look at and find. There's some stuff back at the Connections booth that you want to, You might want to make yourself uh, aware of as well. And one thing that I want to mention as well, I want to kind of repeat from last week as we started this series last week, is that each year as we go through Advent, we, uh, I do this sermon series with uh, my good friend Matt Pugh, who is the minister at Country Bible Church here in Kaufman. And uh, we started last Sunday because in a couple of weeks we have our children's Christmas program uh, two weeks from today, I want to encourage you to be here for that. And so I wanted to start a week early because there won't be a traditional sermon on that day. Uh, and, and the kids will kind of get to be, a, really get to preach the sermon as they tell the story of Jesus that day. And so last week was our first Sunday of Advent. Today is actually the official beginning of Advent and Country Bible Church is starting this, ser- this series today. So they're actually starting with the sermon that we, you got to hear last week. They're going to hear that this morning Uh, And so as we start, I want to just remember them and and, uh, acknowledge that we're doing this together It's kind of a a really a beautiful display of unity. What I think uh, is part of the spirit of Advent is we really imagine what what it's going to be like when Christians get together at the end of time, uh, and we realize we have a whole lot more in common than we have that's different from one another. And so as a way to kind of live into that, uh, one of the the things we do is celebrate this season with uh, Country Bible Church. So I want to begin this morning with a prayer for our time, and then also pray for them as they begin this next few weeks of study as well. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we're we thankful that you are a good, good father, <clears throat> and we're thankful this morning that you love us uh, and that you call us your own children. And We're thankful, Father, this morning that we uh, understand, we can understand what it means to be a child of yours through the work that Jesus did with his life and death and resurrection, bringing us into the family, making us heirs of the promises that were made long, long ago. We pray, Father, that you'll help us to be people of faith that hold on to the faith that we have uh, through trials and through difficulty and through struggle, that you will help us to be resilient in our commitment to following you no matter what. And this morning we ask, God, that you'll give us ears to hear, really, this story. It's such a big story that we're going to look at this morning. I pray you'll give us clarity as we hear it, that you'll open our hearts to receive it, and that you'll give us eyes to see what we need to do, that we can live into the way that you want us to live. We are grateful, Father, for Christ, for his life, for his arrival on earth, and we long for his return. We see that the world has still not been made completely right. And there's brokenness around every corner, starting with our own lives. And we pray that you'll help us build in us some anticipation for his return. Because we know it will be better than anything that we can imagine here on earth. We pray, God, that you'll come both in us and again to the earth. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we started with a look at Adam. Jesus is the true and better Adam. Jesus is the true and better Adam that passed the test in the garden that Adam failed as Adam and Eve stood around that tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And what we know is from Adam and Eve's actions that sin entered the world, entered the story of God, really. And it brought chaos into the world that people, if you follow on from Genesis chapter 3 to Genesis chapter 12, where we're going to read this morning, people continue to live in sin and turned away from God. Evil was really kind of around every turn. And this week, as we move deeper into the story of God, past Adam and Eve, we see that even though humanity was still sinful, even though humanity turned away from God. Even though humanity, at a couple of points in the story, it looks like God and humanity might go their own way, that we're reminded as we read in Scripture that God continued to pursue relationship with humanity. And at the end of Genesis chapter 11, we meet a man named Abraham. Really, his name is Abram at that point in the story, and it'll later be changed to Abraham. But at the time we meet Abraham, he is married to Sarah. And they're settled in living in the city of Haran. Life is pretty good, though they had been traveling, you know, like people did back then. And not really settled in one place, but they'd finally kind of arrived and they're living in Haran. But in Genesis chapter 12, where we're going to pick up this morning, Abraham's story is about to change. He doesn't know it yet, but it's about to change significantly. So look at Genesis chapter 12, if you would, with me. We're going to begin in verse 1. Genesis 12:1 1, 1 says the Lord had said to Abram, "Go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you, Abram, an, into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse." All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions that they had accumulated and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Genesis 12. What I want us to see is that Genesis 12 is the beginning, the new beginning for humanity. the The original beginning for humanity is in the first three chapters of Genesis. As God creates the world, creates humans, and has this covenant establishes this covenant relationship with Adam and Eve. But that relationship is broken. And we don't have enough time to cover all that happens between the end of chapter three and chapter eleven. But There's a lot of chaos and sin that kind of abounds in the world. And as I said a minute ago, you're kind of beginning to wonder, how is this story going to go? And so this moment in Genesis chapter 12 is the moment where God steps into the chaos that's brought about by Adam's sin. And God bestows a blessing on Abraham that will be intended for everyone. Just as God had done in the garden, that's what I want us to see. God reestablishes his covenant in this moment in Genesis chapter 12. And a part of this blessing involved God telling Abraham to leave his people, to leave his country, to leave his inheritance. And in exchange for Abraham leaving his people and his country and his inheritance, God says, I'll give you a new people. I'll give you a new place. I'll give you a new inheritance. So Genesis 12 tells us that Abraham goes. In faith, he trusts that God will somehow make this promise come true. But some time passes. And Abraham still doesn't have an heir. We read there that he's 75 years old at this point. And like any one of us would do, as you think about a promise that God's you know, going to do something through you that's going to involve multiplying your family, A primary and important piece of that multiplication process is a child. And some time passes and Abraham still doesn't have a child and he's starting to wonder how God will do what God said that God would do. So in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham has a conversation with God. This passage is going to be up on the slides You're welcome to look at it in your own Bible if you want, but it's just want to quickly kind of read this. It says, "After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward." But Abram said, "Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus." And Abram said, "You have given me no children." So a servant, Eleazar, is in my household, will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Abraham, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So again, there's this moment in the story where you begin to wonder how are things going to play out. Abraham really questions God. What's going on? I thought you made a promise to me that you were going to make me into a great nation. You're going to bless the whole world through me. But I still don't have an heir. I still don't have a son. So my servant is going to be my heir. I'm going to have to give all of my possessions, all of my life, all the things I've I've built for myself to this man that's not even a part of my family. And so God speaks again and reestablishes this covenant, this promise. And you get the sense at the end of this, verse 6, that Abraham kind of begins to get it. He believes. Even though he doesn't understand, he believes. But what's interesting is right after this story, like right after this story, God doesn't work as quickly as Abraham would like for God to work. Maybe you can relate. And so instead of Abraham giving God the time that God needs to create this promise and help it come true, Abraham kind of tries to move the story forward really on his own. And he takes his wife Sarah, he takes her Egyptian slave Hagar. And she becomes Hagar becomes pregnant with Abraham's child. So through Abraham's actions, this is what I want you to see about this this moment right after Genesis chapter 15. What we are reminded of and why it's it's important for what we're going to talk about in just a minute is that this moment, Abraham believed, and it was credited credited to him as righteousness, and yet, he still tried to move the the story forward on his own. And what we see in that sort of juxtaposition of these two things, as they stand really in opposition to each other, is that Abraham is still a part of the world that was created by Genesis chapter 3. Abraham's decision was a display of a lack of faith, even though he believed at some level God was going to do what God said that God would do. And so Abraham tried to fulfill the promise on his own. And so more time passes without a child, without Sarah having a child. And finally, in Genesis chapter 22 of 21, God promises after Sarah has a son, Isaac, that this child, Genesis 21 says, Isaac will be the heir. And God will keep his promise that he made way back in Genesis chapter 12 through Isaac. But then, just when the story couldn't get any more odd, and you, th- you know, don't think it can take any more kind of turns, Genesis 20, you turn the page to Genesis chapter 22. Isaac's born in tw- 21, and in 22, God tests Abraham. And I want to read part of this story in Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. Isaac has now been born, and here's what it says in beginning in verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. What we have just done is a very rough and fast pass through Abraham's life. And in just a few chapters later, after this story, Abraham will die. His life covered in about 13 chapters. But by the time we arrive in Genesis chapter 22, near the end of his life, even though there are plenty of moments to doubt throughout the story that we couldn't touch on for the sake of time this morning, we see that Abraham really does believe. In this moment, we finally see that Abraham really does believe. And it really, it took him a while. I think the, the, the story as it unfolds in Genesis gives us a picture that he believes, and it's kind of credited to him that he believes, even though he doesn't really understand, but he still kind of moves the story forward on his own as well. Abraham learned, though, through his time on earth that he couldn't force being a blessing. He couldn't force moving the plan forward. That Somehow, God was going to make God's promise come true. And yet, when the Old Testament comes to a close... One of the most important parts of this story is that when the Old Testament comes to a close, Abraham is still waiting for this promise to be ultimately fulfilled. Israel is still waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. And when you, when you close you know, the, the Bible you, or you end the last chapter, the last verse of the book of Malachi, and you turn over to the beginning of Matthew, You're left wondering. Hundreds of years pass between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, which is the arrival of Christ. And so Israel is left wondering, is God going to keep God's promise? Will the promise that he made ever to Abraham ever come true? Would the long-awaited-for Messiah ever arrive? And I want you just to imagine, if you can for a second, being an Israelite, knowing this promise was given to Abraham. But knowing hundreds of years have passed, thousands of years really since the promise was made, but then even hundreds of years between the end of the Old and the beginning of the New Testament. And as you think about what that must have felt like, I want you to notice how Matthew begins his gospel, his, the story of God as he tells it. This is what he says. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And this genealogy goes, begins with Abraham as, as the father of Isaac and, the, and ends with Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Matthew opens his gospel not with the birth of Jesus, But with a long genealogy tracing Jesus' lineage all the way back to Abraham. Through a human, Matthew is telling us. In Abraham's family, Matthew is telling us, God will accomplish what Abraham was unable to accomplish on his own. But what's interesting is that this human was also a lamb. Remember Abraham's words in Genesis chapter 22? God will provide the lamb, my son. Abraham may not have even realized it, but he prophesied that day. When Abraham and Isaac were walking up that Moriah Ridge up to the top of the mountain to sacrifice to offer sacrifice, Abraham believed that God would provide. Some people, some scholars believe that that mountain, which there's a lot of significance that it's really kind of fun to think about with this, that that mountain that Abraham and Isaac walked up, is the same location that later would be called Golgotha. Abraham prophesied that day that God would provide a lamb. And when Jesus arrived, Abraham's prophecy had come true. And it was John the Baptist, actually, that said it first. He said it this way. Abraham, God says in Genesis 22, God will provide the lamb. And John the Baptist, as he sees Jesus coming in John chapter 1, says, look. Look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was the answer to a 2,000-year-old question. God had finally provided the Lamb, a sacrifice to end all sacrifices. This, to me, is why Jesus is the true and better Abraham. Jesus Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave the comfortable and familiar place of heaven, and to follow God in the creation of a new people. Philippians chapter 2 says that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but he made himself nothing, taking our likeness, being made like us, and he left. Jesus is the true and better Abraham that not only left the comfortable and familiar to create a new people, but did it in a way that Abraham was unable to do. The first Abraham left his home, but he ultimately failed. He was unable to accomplish things that he needed to accomplish. The true and better Abraham left his home and accomplished what God intended. The first Abraham trusted God to provide the lamb for the sacrifice, but the true and better Abraham was the lamb for the sacrifice. Jesus is God's answer to Abraham's promise. But this morning, one of the things that I want us to grasp deeply, because I think there's deep significance for us, is that Abraham never saw the promise come to fulfillment ultimately. Abraham is held up, as many of you know, as this picture of faith. And he's not held up as a picture of faith because he was a perfect person, because he was not a perfect person. And Abraham is is not held up as a picture of faith because he showed flawless faith, even. Abraham tried to do some things on his own to move the story forward several times. No, Abraham's gift to us, church, is this. Abraham believed in something that he would never see on this side of, of his death. In his lifetime, he would never see it. One of the places that the Bible talks about this is in Hebrews chapter 11. I want to invite you to turn there with me. In Hebrews chapter 11, many of you know, it's known as a chapter of faith, where people are of faith are kind of held up and their lives or the story of their life is told again. And I want to read beginning in verse 8 where the writer of Hebrews talks specifically about Abraham and about Abraham's faith. This is what it says. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and as countless as the sand on the seashore." All these people, verse 13, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they left, they would have have the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for God has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. This is mind-blowing. Verse 19, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Have you ever believed something could happen, even if you didn't see the outcome? You had this belief, you just kind of knew in your heart that something could happen, even though you hadn't seen it happen before. Abraham believed that somebody could be raised from the dead, even though he had never seen anybody raised from the dead. A little over 15 years ago, before we had kids, uh, I was a youth minister, and we were traveling through Arkansas with some students on our way home from a trip. And we made a stop in, uh, in Heber Springs, Arkansas. Some of you may have passed near there before. Uh, the Greer's Ferry Lake its kind of the area. It's a recreation area campground. People travel to this lake, uh, really, I, I'm sure, probably for one primary reason, Hot summer days, there are these cliffs, and you can jump from the cliff into the lake. And it's important that you know that I started this story by telling you I I went to this location on the planet before I had kids because of what I'm about to say next. So we show up to Heber Springs, to these cliffs, and we begin to plan. Some of our group had been before, had been kind of talking it up. So I knew as we arrived that no matter how high the cliffs were, that not jumping was not an option, right? So, because, you know, my pride and, you know, my reputation with these teenagers was at stake. So we arrive, and I'm kind of there. We're looking. We're, we, you know, we're tired after a week of church camp. We're driving home. And I walk up to the edge, and, and, I, and I'm aware of the fact that jumping is a risk. Like, I have questions in my mind, like, what if this doesn't go well? Or what if I don't make it, you know? But I also, again, knew that jumping was not an option. So I walk up to the edge, and I, you know, I sort of take a deep breath, and I jump. Here's a picture of, of some kids jumping from that spot at the lake. It's not me. Um, but why a parent would let their young kid that young jump, I don't know. But, but apparently they did and caught it and put it on uh, the Internet for everybody to see. But this is the, the reason I share that story is to say this. It's, it's an exa- one example from my life, and you have others in your own life, where we, we know of things, right? I reasoned in that moment. My faith in that moment came actually from watching other people jump off the cliff into the water and seeing them survive. So in reality, I don't even know if that really was faith because I I was able to see that I probably was going to be okay. So I jumped. But at some point in that moment of decision, I reasoned that I would survive the jump. And so I, I made the decision to jump. I tell that story to say this, what makes Abraham's faith so remarkable is that he had never seen anyone raised from the dead. But he, he believed that if he killed Isaac, that God could do it. Abraham believed that if he killed Isaac, that God could do it. He did not know how it would happen, But he reasoned that it could happen. So Abraham's faith in that moment wasn't so much about him even, as much as it was trusting in God's faithfulness and goodness to him, that he would keep his word as he had said that he would all along. Abraham's faith believed and held on to this belief that his descendants would be as numerous as the sand on the seashore, even if he didn't live to see it. What made Abraham so remarkable is, is that he died not seeing this promise fulfilled. And I think in the same way that we're challenged. We're challenged this morning to, to die in faith. And, and as I was thinking about this sermon, it, it's really what, it's an odd conclusion to a sermon, quite honestly. But I, I really believe, as Hebrews 11 talked about the fact that all these people in, our, in the history of following God died, many of them, before they even saw Jesus's first arrival. And now here we stand on this side of Jesus' first arrival, and really, lo- we've waited a long time, 2,000 years, for Jesus' second arrival. And I want to say this morning to us that even if you and I don't see things come to pass in our life, somehow that trusting Jesus will usher those things in when he returns is the point that our job is to live by faith, knowing that we may not see promises fulfilled and that that is the point. That we know the promises of God, but yet maybe you in your life have suffered. Maybe you're depressed, you're discouraged, you have doubts, you're wondering, is it worth it to keep walking with Jesus? Maybe you've asked, how long, oh Lord? Maybe you've prayed and God hasn't answered or you haven't seen the answer yet. And you're wondering, does God hear me? How much more faith do I have to have in order for God to hear me? Maybe you had a hard week, and maybe you're tired, and work is wearing you out, and everything seems to be hard. And if anybody asks you to commit to anything else, it will undo you. And you're wondering, what am I doing? Maybe you've heard the scriptures. You know, the one where Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble but take heart, I have overcome the world. And you realize that that scripture is there in the Bible, and you know it's true, and yet you still feel overwhelmed. And so maybe you're wondering, is it still worth it? Maybe you're, you're wondering if church is still worth it, right? Going through the trouble to get up and to get here and to get your kids here every week, is it still worth it? Worth it to work and at raising kids who know and love Jesus, maybe there's trouble in your marriage, trouble in your family, and you're struggling to find faith that God will still show up. Even though you know the promise was made long ago that God will show up, you're struggling to see that it's true. This morning, church, I want to say as clearly as I can that faith is holding on to what you believe is true, even when you don't see it. It's it's holding on to what you believe is true about the true and better Abraham even if you don't see the answer yet, or even if you never see the answer in your lifetime. To reason that God has a way to work it all out, even if you can't see it, and maybe an Advent application as we think about Advent. I mean, my goodness, we have waited more than 2,000 years since Jesus ascended back to the Father's right hand. We know He said He'll come back in the same way that He left, but here we are still waiting. And so my question this morning is, can we hold on to our faith until it becomes sight, even if it doesn't become sight in your lifetime? I think this is what Hebrews 11 is about, that people that had received God's promises and didn't live to see them are the example of faith. They are now part of this great cloud of witnesses, as Hebrews 12 talks about and this includes, I want to be clear, not only people in the Bible, but people that we have lost to. I want you this morning, and I realize we're, we're getting close to the end of our time, and we're going to be a little longer this morning because I don't want to skip this part. I want you this morning, we're going to have some crowd participation time in the sermon. I want you to think of someone in your life who has died already and that has gone to be with Jesus. You got their name in your head? All right, I want you to stand up. Go ahead. Everybody got somebody in their mind? You're going to say this person's name out loud on the count of three. Someone who has died, a grandparent, a parent, a child, a sibling, an aunt or an uncle, a, a, a close friend that you love, someone that has already died and gone on to be with the Lord. You got their name? On the count of three, I want you to say their name as loud as you can in a, in a, as a way to honor them and the life of faith that they lived, okay? And if you don't say it loud enough the first time, I'm going to have to do it twice, so just make say it loud enough the first time to honor them so that everybody around you hears it so I don't have to ask you to do it again. One, two, three. <laughs> Praise God. I want you to hold on to those names. And I want you to be aware this morning that those people are like Abraham. They are Abraham's not greater than them. They are equal to him, cloud of witnesses. Abraham and them. They never they never saw their faith become sight because they died. And as morbid or as odd as that may seem, I have come to the conclusion I believe that is our aim. That is the point. To hold on to faith, whatever it takes, until your faith becomes sight. I didn't realize when Mark chose to sing that song, Faith of Our Fathers, how much of a sermon that was going to be, but that, that really was the message this morning. That we hold on to faith of our fathers and our mothers and our grandmothers and our friends, who we know walked faithfully while they were here on earth, though they never saw the things that they believed were true about the true and better Abraham come to pass. And what I want us to see this morning is that, maybe more than anything else, to help us honor their lives, is that we live in between these two advents, the first arrival and the second arrival, and that Abraham never saw the true and better come. And we have. And those people's names that you just mentioned did. We've lived long enough to see it, but the question for us this morning is, will we trust God enough? Will we continue to trust that God will fulfill God's promises, even if there is little sign in this life that it's going to happen? Will we hold on to faith until we die, believing that even if we don't see it happen in our lifetime, that it is going to happen? I mean, we have more evidence than Abraham that it's going to happen. We have more evidence than the earliest disciples in some ways. Can we hold on to faith, though, that that heavenly city that Hebrews talks about is coming? The promised land is really coming. See, human Abraham could only get his family tree so far. But Jesus created a family made up of people from every nation and every tribe and every tongue. That if you were to count them, they would be as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And we are a part of that family. And people who we love, who have died in faith, are a part of that family. And we're waiting now to live in the country that God has created with them, a heavenly country that God is preparing. Praise God for the true and better Abraham. Christ has come, and Christ is coming again. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, we are humbled by the faith of men and women who have gone on before us, who lived lives of deep faith before our very eyes, that we got to see them live it out. And we pray, God, that you'll help us to model our lives after many of those men and women, after people like Abraham and who did it imperfectly but they trusted you and then they failed and then they trusted you again and then they failed and that this is the point that we continue to walk with you even when we don't see it, even when we don't understand, even when we can't see the outcome completely. May we hold on to faith so that we too can die in faith unless you come back, which would be perfectly fine with all of us. God, we are grateful for Jesus who expanded what it means, who helped us to rethink what it means to be a family, to be a child of yours, who crosses uh, the lines that we draw so often so that your children can be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. What a gift to be a part of that family. What a gift to have faith. We pray through the name of Jesus Christ. And the church said this morning, Amen. This morning, you may want to respond publicly in some way. Maybe your faith is struggling and you want somebody to pray with you and encourage you in some way. However we can help you in that, we want to encourage you to respond. I'll be down front. There'll be an elder in the back. Always encourage you to find somebody around you and pray. However you need to respond, let's respond to God as we sing this next song.
1: In Christ alone, my hope is found. when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand, in Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe. This gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin. Him was laid here in the death of Christ. I live there in the ground His body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day. Up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his, he is mine. Bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath. Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand.
0: Thank you, Doug. Um, Let's pray. Father, I thank you for The riches of your love and your care in which we live. And we um, pray that you will be with us to help our faith in you remain strong. And uh, we do pray, Lord Jesus, that you will come quickly. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.